Hi, I'm Ryan, the Tired Rules Guy. I'm Ben, the Antagonistic Player. I'm Helen, the Feral Storyteller. I'm Jared, the Sneaky Game Master, and together we are the Starting Equipment Podcast. Welcome to our first episode. We're trying to be an introductory podcast about RPGs. Not that we don't want to be available and entertaining for more advanced players, but we want to be welcoming of all players regardless of their experience level. So for those of you who are new to RPGs and listening to this, Let's start off by what is an RPG? It's a collective storytelling game where a group of players take on fictional characters to explore and flush out a world controlled and laid out by a single member of the group known as a storyteller and populated the other players. You determine what you want your characters to do and then determine their success through some randomized mechanic, usually dice, but occasionally playing cards or something else. We're going to focus for our first episode on how to choose the perfect game for your group. But first, let's tell you a little bit about who we are and why we love role-playing games enough to make a podcast. My name's Ryan. I grew up with RPGs. My dad played them, he taught me to play them, and I've been playing them for over 20 years. And so for me, they're a way to help me reconnect with my father in one way, but also basically a sort of a part of my culture that I grew up with. I've met most of my friends that I still have through playing games with them, and I really just enjoy the storytelling aspect and interacting with others in this way. Ben, how about you? I mostly play to spend time with my friends. Frankly, I don't just rehashing banalities. I don't think most people do. I think they do it out of rote. That doesn't mean I don't care about when important things are happening in someone's life. At the same time, if you give me an option, I'd rather tell a cool story with them than hear about the sandwich they had for lunch. But Ben, I had a really good sandwich for lunch. Oh my goodness, you should tell me all about that sandwich. Did it have pickle on it? Because you know so many people love it when their sandwiches have pickle on it. I might not be one of those people, but sometimes I am. Sassy today, Ben. In all seriousness, there was no pickle, but I did have three different kinds of meat. So oh my goodness. My, my sandwich at lunch had pickle. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a sandwich. I had chicken pot pie. I had fuel. You had fuel? Did you chug a gas station? So finally, I work a job that I do enjoy, but does not require any creative thought whatsoever. It's a lot of tasks strung together that are done the same every 24 hours. This is my creative outlet and it pushes me in a lot of ways that without role-playing I definitely wouldn't be pushed anymore. And so on to you Jared. So our little digression about sandwiches is a really great example of why I love role-playing games which is to say I am a super duper ADHD kid. I hyper focus I get distracted and then I hyper focus on something new. And having an activity so that when I can hang out with my friends, I still feel comfortable and I feel focused and we are doing something constructive together instead of me bouncing from sandwich topic to sandwich topic, driving my friends crazy. That's RPGs. It's a thing that we can hang out and do and I can hyper focus and not be a weirdo. As you probably can guess from that description, I was a hell of a late bloomer. At this point, I'm pretty good at social situations. I do well in them, but for a long time, I had some pretty serious social anxiety. I had a small group of friends that were awesome and I was really open with, but anytime I needed to meet new people, I really, like I panicked. I, I absolutely panicked unless it was within a set structure. So I picked up hobbies, a lot of hobbies. Oh, so many bad hobbies just to feel like I was doing something to make friends. A lot of those hobbies suck and I no longer do them, but tabletop RPGs has become a lifelong thing 
I'm 35 now and I've been playing since I was eight. Helen, how about you? So I did not grow up with role-playing games. I grew up with fantasy novels and I painted minis and I played magic and I was always kind of on the outside looking in on role-playing games until I got to college and went looking and found out there were more role-playing games than D&D. Um, which was just nonsense. And then I played a few, and then I found a group, and I have not looked back. I have multiple groups at this point. I play multiple games, and I, I like being able to write characters, tell stories. I like to use it as an opportunity to channel and practice my writing. I am the person who will write you all of the backstory pages. You are not expected to read them, but I'm going to write them, mainly for me. And occasionally I'm going to go back later and I'm going to reread them. She's not joking. As someone who GMs several games that Helen is in, she's frequently like, so I wrote a three-page backstory. You can read it if you want to, but I'm going to send it to you regardless of whether or not you read it. Yeah, for that NPC that I have never played, will never play, but that I wrote and statted up for you. I wrote, a, I wrote a backstory for the character I played in Ben's Rogue Trader game for all of three sessions. And I like it as my social hobby. Like I like spending weekends with my friends, casually hanging out and eating snacks and playing games or spending a few hours gaming and eating snacks or grilling with friends and gaming and like it's you know you, you can definitely be there to play the game or you can even just be there to hang out with your friends and also play a game and i'm i'm into doing both of those things i sense a strong correlation between snacks and friends one of my friends pointed out at one point he realized it is not that i eat large things it is that i eat constantly and that that is my life ethos okay okay so now getting down to the difficult decision of you have formed a group, you have people you would like to play with. There are thousands of role-playing games out there. So how the hell do you decide what you want to play? Like, how do you pick a game? We're going to break this down into a bunch of questions so you can go down and narrow things down because it's pretty overwhelming to just start with, what game do you want to play? It's like asking your friends, where do you want to get lunch? Like, you just go back and forth forever, and no one wants to commit to anything. We're going to give you a way, a checklist, to go down to help you narrow this down. Except it's not even, like, where do you want to have lunch? It's, like, where do you want to eat for the next week? It's true. It's, like, okay, so let's all put a bunch of money into one restaurant now, and hopefully, over the course of the year, we can use that credit. <laughs> so, I'm going to give a secret. What you do is you give everyone three options, and one of them is bad. So, I'm going to give you three options. Um, D&D, Blades in the Dark, and Lancer. Spicy take okay. already. Well played, Ben. I see we are making friends. <laughs> We're starting um, strong. <laughs> okay, so the first question that you need to answer, and this is the core question, this is the fundamental oomph of the whole situation. What kind of story do you want to play? A lot of this question is based on like the genre and style of the game you want to play, and we'll give you some examples for that later. But first, we have some questions that'll help you delve into that larger question. Yes, just generally, like what kind of story? Like not knowing anything else, where, where do you want to start? Do you know you want a mystery that centers around the players finding clues and slowly revealing the plot? Do you want an adventure full of action? Maybe you want to get even more specific with your mystery. You want a procedural, the specific details of what people do and how they do it, and the clues of a crime become the start point and your game moves forward from there. 
Um, that's really great. Do you want a, a low drama or a high drama game? I'll be real honest. I'm not very clear on the difference between low and high drama. Okay, great. Let's talk about that. This is a literary term for plays, but it also kind of is exactly what it sounds like. Do you want this to be about big, important politics? Or do you want this to be about the nitty gritty what's happening in a specific group of people? How about this? That sounds a little bit like the scale. The, yeah, the, the stakes plot. or the scale. You can have yeah, like yeah, a D&D yeah. game that has really high drama because the stakes are like, the Lich King is going to destroy the universe and we and only our group can stop him. You have very high drama there. Right, and it, it's simultaneously the stakes and also what sort of problems that you face. Are your problems interpersonal primarily? Then that's going to be a lower drama game. Is your game about a group of grandmas in a knitting circle who solve crime? That's probably a low but drama not game. Always. I see. It's, probably... it's funny because, like, in my mind, I think of that as high drama because there's going to be a lot of Agnes versus Betty arguing over, like, macaroons and stuff, like, very angrily. So I don't mean low is in amount. I mean low is in, are we talking highbrow or lowbrow? Is it big problems or small problems? Awesome. There can be a lot of drama in a low drama game, but it's like, are we solving the problems of our neighborhood or are we solving the world's problems, right? right? We'll definitely play a game that centers around an HOA meeting with you. If you want, Jared. I mean, honestly, I know that that sounds miserable for a lot of people, but I would be super. Uh, I I have just the game for that, <laughs> which we will talk about later. So, do you want serious consequences for characters or something lighter? Do you want your characters to have the opportunity to lose an arm or be emotionally devastated, or do you just want to kind of cruise around the world? Neither option is wrong. And sometimes you want to be emotionally devastated even with lighter consequences. And that's totally fine too. Do you want your game to be serious? Do you want it to be funny? Do you want it to be both? I personally love my games that like alternate between those two things. I love a good physical comedy shtick, but I need some consequences up in this piece. Yeah. And the most important part about answering all of these questions about this, what kind of story do you want to play? This is not one person's decision. This is not your game master's decision that they come to everybody and say, okay, everybody, we're playing this game. It's not that. This is a group decision and it should be a conversation. If it's your first time with this group, Honestly, I've made questionnaires before. You might want to like have everyone a questionnaire to do at home or, or do one at the table. Some way to guarantee that everyone's voice is heard. Also, you can play a one shot or a couple shot and just figure out what you like doing. I know I struggle figuring out exactly what type of game I want to play and putting that onto paper. But once we start playing, uh, depending on a bunch of variables, I'm going to figure it out. So don't be afraid to take risks and kind of look around and figure out what you want. And if you haven't had the opportunity to play a number of games, you may worry you're gonna make the wrong choice let me assure you you are not going to make the wrong choice the worst thing that happens if you get yourself into a situation where you're playing a game and you find out the genre doesn't click for you is you stop that's it that's the worst thing that happens and if you want some additional guidance in getting you know looking for a genre that you like you can look at all of the other media that you consume on a day-to-day -day basis the shows that you like the characters that you like any of the stories that you like to take in and to tell that can help guide you just because you like like watching it or you like reading it doesn't necessarily mean you like playing it but you know that's a great place, it's a good to, place start. to start i've actually toyed with the idea of doing a prologue game 
making characters for the players and handing them out and telling them, all right, you're these who this is who you are, this is what you're doing, let's go, and we're going to play a one-shot or two-shot where you get to try out the system and I get to see the story, right? I'm going to do a horror game. All right, all of you are now sewer workers. Here's your character sheets. You're in the sewer. You have a weird complaint about something, and, you know, something eats you up. But that lets you guys try out the system, see what you like, how you feel about it, and we'll see the story if we continue with the game. Okay, so the next big question, we're going to get into more detail of all that, and that's great, which is why it didn't stop us. But the next major focus that is going to help you figure out what to play, who's your group? Who are you playing with? I would like to, at this point, beat a drum that I beat every single time we talk about this. There this is, is the a, most important factor. Yeah, there is ahead. a hierarchy. You can break it into three elements. There's the mechanics, there's the setting, there is the group that you play with. Just to offer you some contrast in terms of talking about mechanics, I'm going to take the most cynical route and I'm going to describe them as the statistical vehicle that allows you to get from point A to point B in your setting. That's what they are. And maybe they're a Honda Civic maybe they're a Maserati, but at the end of the day, they're the least important of these three things. If you like the setting or the genre, you can put up with clunky mechanics. If you like the setting or the genre, you can put up with clunky mechanics. You can even make lemonade out of a setting or genre that you don't like as much if you're playing with people you really enjoy playing. There are no mechanics or setting or combination thereof that will save a game you're playing when you're playing with people you either don't like or don't enjoy playing with. Those do not necessarily go hand in hand. You can like people just fine and not enjoy telling stories with that group of people, or you can you know, choose to play certain games with some of your friends and certain games with other of your friends. That's all fine. Do not put yourself into a position where for one reason or another, you are forcing yourself to play in a group where it isn't a good fit because you think that one or the other of those two other factors, a, a great mechanics, a great mechanic system that you really, really like, or a great setting that you're really excited to play with will save it. Best case scenario, you don't have fun. Worst case scenario, you begin to resist it, the situation, and come down on yourself for it. Just take yourself out of that situation. I will say, if you find yourself in that situation where you really like the setting or mechanics, but you don't mesh well with the group you're playing with, try and find another group that likes that setting or mechanics, right? Like, I've done yeah. that. I That's totally fine. It may well feel hard. I, too, have social anxiety. But I promise you, it is better to look elsewhere than to stay with a bad fit. I promise. All right. So one of the, the very important questions that's often overlooked is how old is your group? Like not as you as friends, how long have you known each other? Though that's true too. But how old are the people in it? If you want to run a game for 12-year-olds, so this is their first introduction to role-playing, that's probably a very different game than you want to run for your friends in college. Or your adult friends who understand mortgages. Or your friends who understand yeah. mortgages and come home from work and are retired. Related to that, what's the focus level slash attention span of your group? And like, it's okay if the answer to that is low. It's okay if the answer to that is incredibly high, but it's really important that you as a group be honest with yourself. Because there are some games that I love that you just can't play if you don't have a pretty serious attention span. And even more importantly, 
people start getting pissed off. I've been in this scenario. Either way, where you're more focused or less focused than the rest of than the median of the group, and everyone starts getting pissed off because no one else is at the same focus level as them. Right. And I will say other moderating factors in this is that attention span may vary. Everyone has off weeks. Everybody needs to be on board with having an off week. How do you handle off weeks? How do we all stay cool about it? As well as how much time is there between games? Because if you're playing a game that happens every month, and we haven't gotten to this point yet, but this is where that focus element touches on the frequency of play down the way. If you're playing a game every month and you have a bunch of stuff to remember, how are you going to treat lapses in focus versus if you play every week? Everybody needs to be cool with the answer to that question, otherwise it's a bad fit. Another one is how well do you know each other? Especially depending on the type of game, if it's a more personal game, like horror or introspective, it may be really important that you are very comfortable with each other and the topics of your game. And that's something that we'll actually talk about in another episode. But if there's some things that I may not want to bring up in my game if I don't know what everyone's comfortable with or everyone's backstory or anything like that. We are going to discuss them, but you don't necessarily have to wait for that episode. You can go and look up safety mechanics such as the X card, red light, green light, and others that are out there now. We will cover them in future episodes, but they are out there and they are meant for this thing. So it's not even just what content level I want for people I'm getting to know. That is important, but there are certain games that that are a certain level of complexity that I don't want to have to manage the complexity of the game and the complexity of meeting new people together, right? Yeah, sure. I only want to play a super complex game if I already know you people. If I'm balancing learning or interpersonal stuff and playing this game, I really need the game to be simple. On top of that, there are some games or genres that you know you feel one way about and other people feel another way about. And it may be that you don't necessarily want to play a specific game with certain of your gaming groups. I and have a gaming fine. group I would never play I would never play Exalted with. Not because I don't think they would like it. It's just there are elements of it that wouldn't necessarily fit. Um also something to think about is how long do you want the game to go if you have if you're planning a one shot that's very different than planning an indefinite campaign for example in a one shot you probably really want people to focus so you can keep that train moving and then so you can play the game so you can play the <laughs> game because we i have certainly played many one shots that were actually three or four <laughs> sessions long and I mean, the same thing goes if you're wanting to play for like a semester, for instance. Right. Um, versus, uh, you know, we've got Mondays free, for potentially the rest of our lives. Um, let's spend our evenings doing that. Right. And like, almost um, a grim way to put that, Ben. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for example, our primary gaming group, and I think most of us have, have other groups we play with, but the group that largely forms this podcast. We occasionally play one-shots with each other and love it and, you know, play simpler one-shot games. And we've also been playing a game of Hunter that's been going on for damn near five years that we play weekly. I think it's almost six at this point. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. Congratulations. Our game is going to school. (laughs) You guys might as well just put me in the ground because I'm a dinosaur. We can't put you in the ground. We have game on Thursday. (laughs) Damn it. No, it's fine. We can get a Ouija board and have him run through seance. Oh, um, so I am all be trying in. to be dead and we're asking him questions about the mechanics. <laughs> 
Okay, back on ta- track. Sure. How experienced is your group? We mentioned before, if you're playing with younger players, maybe they've never played before. Or even older players. Or Some even older people player. come to that, gaming late. That's true. But if you have a bunch of people who are new to gaming, you probably want to have to consider that and how you plan for things if you're all much more experienced you could show up at session zero all right here's what we're playing here's the setting here's some stuff you might need to know these are the kind of things we got any questions all right great let's make characters and go to be maybe much much easier to handle that and most likely what you'll have is a mixed group where you have people with varying experience levels and you'll have different questions that come up you'll probably stumble across different issues and there's things you have to think about and kind of react to One of the caveats that I really want to give here, and we will talk about this game more and why this is a problem, why this is a factor, not a problem, later in the episode. There are some games, even games that I really love, that I would never, ever play with a beginner. Oh, yeah. Yes. We're going to talk about it. Exalted is a great game. I love Exalted. I think it's a really good game. I would never do that to a beginner. I'm not that mean a person. You did do it to someone who was pretty new. You literally <laughs> did. You literally did exactly <laughs> that thing. Who? Miranda. Miranda. She'd only played a few sessions of D&D before. She'd been playing for like six months. She called that a Oh my sessions. God, that doesn't know. Wow, Jared. A- I would say you're no longer a beginner after weekly games for six months. After we let Exhibit A rest there, uh, let's move <laughs> yeah. on to our next topic. I stand by what I said. I know. That's, <laughs> okay. that's one of your personality traits. Um, how much of an investment are you looking for, both financially, time, and on the mental load of preparing for game? I'm just going to quickly pause and refer back to that financial question. Don't be that person. Don't pirate game. There are so many wonderful games out there that are pay what you will or that are just free. The creator is just giving them out for free. If you don't want to buy big core books, you don't have to. And I think we've laid out prior to this and we're going to continue to lay out before that you don't need to buy a big core book to have a fun and memorable time playing with your game, with your friends. You can play games that fit your financial investment and you will have fun. Support the creatives in these spaces. Do not pirate games. The margins aren't high on these books anyway, so it's not like you're robbing Activision Blizzard who just doesn't care. There's actual financial harm here. You know these people. These are creatives in your spaces, in our hobby. Support them. Hear, hear. I completely agree. And to go along with that, you do need to think about how much of a financial investment your game is. A lot of games, you buy a book, maybe two books, you buy a handful of dice, and great, you can go. If you're playing basic D&D, and like, you're not the DM, you're like, all right, you buy the core book, and you buy some dice, and you can play. And there's obviously a whole bunch of stuff you can add, but you can just do that, and you're good to go. Some games are not like that, and you really need to put a lot of money and maybe even time finding the books to, to really get into it. Aside from that, there's a time investment. If you're the GM, you have to prepare a game. Well, I guess it depends on your style and the game you're playing, but you probably spend some time outside of game planning for it and thinking about it, and just the mental load of running it. I've definitely run games before where afterwards I was tired. Like, I enjoyed the games, but there was a lot for me to do. I was tired after each session. And you might be anxious in the lead-up to the session. I've definitely had that situation. And if that's something that you think is going to be a barrier to your entry don't start high start low you know start with something that doesn't put that load on you 
as a GM. Those games are also out there. And I would say that time investment is also a concern for players. Like there are some games that you can like read 20 pages of core rules and be ready to play, right? Like those games exist. I think D&D is great in that way and you won't be an expert but you can play the game and then there are games again i mentioned exalted this is one of the reasons i wouldn't introduce a brand new player like how i changed my language there a brand new player to exalted is it's a 600 plus page rule book and you have to read the whole rule book I don't know that you have to read the whole rule book. Okay. You have to read 300 pages at least. You do have to read like 300 pages of rule book, but certainly the PowerPoint of your flow charts of which charms you're going to buy and at what stage, that is optional. Sure. Sure. But yes, you're correct. The investment of, well, how much do you need to know about the world is actually something we'll talk about later for a few of those games. But also how much time do you have to make a character? How much time do you have to prepare things? You're right. There is a time investment on players too. Aside from just, you know, setting aside however many hours to play the game weekly or monthly or whatever. And the last major question before we get into the nitty gritty is what type of gamers are you? What excites you about a game? Is it being the best you can be at a certain thing? We call that a power power gamer? Is it the role play itself? Call that the actor? Or is it the social activity? We call that us. I mean, what <laughs> what is it about the game that makes you want to be there? And you need to find a game that fits that. There are some games that are great for power gamers that like really gives you a chance to explore your inner power gamer. And then there are some games that if a power gamer shows up and tries to play, it's going to break the experience for everybody. And I think that it's just important to be aware of that when you sit down at the table. I've done all of those. I've been a power gamer. I've been a role player. And I've certainly enjoyed the physical activity. And what Jared just said is, is the right. This is one of the things the group needs to talk about. If we're having a very calm and sedate game or like we're making our characters or we're telling the story, you probably shouldn't have to worry that much about like, well, you know, I haven't been keeping up with my attack abilities so, or my combat abilities. So that, that should be okay versus game where we're like, no, we're on a module. You have a track you need to be on, and if you fall behind your track in combat, it's going to be a problem in the module. Yeah. So now that we've answered all of the nitty-gritty questions, we're going to get to the big picture ones that help you pick what game you want to play. Genre and style. What genre and style you want to play is a huge question. So genre is the broad type of game you're playing. It's a very high-level view of your game. It could be horror, action, fantasy, sci-fi, noir. And style is basically a subgenre. It's more specific and nuanced. It's how you want to play. Do you want to be a hack-and-slash adventure game? A gritty, procedural, grand adventure game? High-power romp, heist caper? Here's the thing. You can find almost any combination of genre and style out there as a game. And it's really important to know what is important to you as a player and to your group, genre or style. One of the reasons I wanted to talk specifically about this is I, Jared Singer, am willing to play just about any genre, but I only have a few styles I enjoy. I don't really like hack and slash, whether it's horror, adventure, whatever it is, like that's not fun for me. Another important reason to think about this, there is a game for the specific genre and style you want to play. I guarantee it. There is, always. I guarantee it. You may have to ask around, you may have to look in places. Or tune into future episodes. Or tune into future episodes, and we will cover several of them. But there is a specific game that, if not exactly matching the thing you want to do, 
is pretty close to it. You can go drive the RPG, you can go to itch.io, there are tons of, of independent RPG developers who have their products out for, if not free, for very affordable amounts. Do you want an anime heist caper? Because I can point you to that game. There is something, like, whatever niche game you think that you're doing, do you want to be bears solving crimes? I can point you to that game too. On that note, Twitter is also a resource because a lot of Barf. the people, like we were saying, are, hey, hey, in the sense that a lot of the games that we're saying, the indie creators, particularly who are on Itch, they may advertise on Twitter and you may be able to locate new games and new creators that way. I did. Despite whatever your feelings on social media are, Twitter and Reddit in particular have large communities of people who appreciate and create independent RPGs. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to give you an overview of a couple of popular games. We're going to give you super brief overviews of about a half dozen games and a little more in-depth on three. But first, we wanted to define the terms that we're going to use in those overviews. The big things for these, we broke it down into two axes. Crunchy games have very detailed rules. Uh, they try to provide a rule for every scenario that's likely to come up. And the other side of this axis is abstract. They provide guidelines for whoever is running the game to make decisions or judgment calls, but in trying to keep their specific rules to core gameplay mechanics. And so one of the important things to realize is this is not crunchy or abstract. This is definitely oh, yeah. a spectrum. There are some things that are all the way one or the other end, but most things live much closer to the middle. And I think it's fair to say that there are things where depending on what elements you are using within a single game system, you can find play to be. Oh, definitely. I mean, D&D is going to have very crunchy rules for combat, but social interactions, not so much. To be very clear, we are not advocating for either side of this axis or for the next one. This is purely your preference for the game that you want to have fun in, and everyone is going to fall in different places at different times on these axes. We have already mentioned in this podcast games on complete opposite ends of the spectrum that we all adore. Yeah, I think it's really important to know that it's even okay if members of your group, your party, fall on different ends of the spectrum as long as you talk and make it work. Not to blow up her spot, but Helen here on the podcast with us really likes abstract games, whereas I tend to really enjoy crunchy games. But like, we've been playing together for six years and it's great. Just because you do tend to prefer one thing or not prefer another thing, you know, you can change in a given week, in a given day, and you can have one group that plays one thing and you have another group that plays another game. The PowerPoint of Exalted Charms and the order of which you take them and their mechanical benefits that followed, that was me. I was talking about me. I was that person. Because I can also do that when called upon. But I maybe don't want to do that all the time. Helen, why don't you walk us through our other axes? So the other axis is going to be between complexity and fluidity. Complex games we're describing as ones that require you to balance and remember a lot of different things at once. Think of it as many knobs and dials to manage many different rule sets for different things that could come up. Preparing maybe for multiple eventualities and having to memorize all of those things. Complex 
complex games are often crunchy, but that is not always the case. Uh, and an important note that complexity can also refer to the narrative as well as the rules. If you are playing a highly political game that may mirror something like Game of Thrones or House of Cards, it may be a complex game, even if the rules aren't, because you have to remember alliances, side characters, etc. And on the other end of that spectrum is fluidity. They focus on keeping the flow of the game going forward without stumbling over details. They will give you what you need, and then you can go forward with that. And if other things come up, you either deal with them at the table or you just breeze by. And they may be more abstract, but that is not always the case. I sat down and I listed some examples here. I think at least one we may talk about a little bit. No. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, we argued a lot before we started recording. We're going to continue arguing. arguing to put internet like to talk to each other? No. <laughs> Doing a podcast and arguing? Never. So the first one I put down was Pathfinder, <laughs> which is a, I feel, crunchy and complex system. If you are unaware, Pathfinder is a... Someone looked at D&D &D and decided that it wasn't complicated enough uh, in combat. No, 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 no. When it came out, it was much simpler than D&D &D was. What happened? So at the end of third edition for D&D, &D, there was too much stuff. There was huge bloat. And Pathfinder was a much more streamlined system that another company put out with a different world, but the same kind of feeling. You have paladins and wizards and fighters and clerics and you fight dragons and stuff. They've broken off and they've made their own niche in the community. Pathfinder's really made a name for itself. It's very much a tactical game with high drama, high stakes. It is really settled into that niche. It is more complicated and crunchy than Dungeons and Dragons. It wants to present itself as that. It is it's its own game now. The next one, I said Fate is abstract and fluid. Fate is a game, if you've never played it, it's a generic system that they give you that's very very simple, has very few mechanics in it, and people use it as a toolkit to build their own settings and worlds and games. Fate is one of my personal favorites, but I probably wouldn't play it just a Fate game. I'd play a game that I built using Fate. So people tend to call those Fate hacks, and it's really great. Fate is a very, very simple, simple base that you can put whatever you want on it. I think Abstract Fluid fits perfectly there. I think they've done a good job demonstrating across the line of Fate games that are out there what you can do with it that was my example um, when i thought of fluid i thought of fate because fate only gives you like three core rules you cannot change yep. these things okay great go do whatever else you want you're on your own. For the next one, I wanted to provide examples of mixing crunchy, complex, and abstract and fluid. I said GURPS is a crunchy, fluid game. For those of you who don't know, GURPS is generic universal role-playing system, is what it stands for, and it's supposed to be the same sort of thing we were just talking about, Fate. You can have GURPS games for anything. However, where Fate says there are only three rural rules that you can't change, and you can Design the rest of your system based around these rules. GURP says, we have a supplement for that specific thing. They were huge uh, in the 90s. And they put out tons and tons of supplements to cover every conceivable thing you want to do. And they did very well because they really researched their subject. And the reason I said it's crunchy and fluid is because there's a rule for everything. And they are even very straightforward in the book. They're like, you shouldn't use all these rules. Like, <laughs> there's no reason to. We provided these rules so you can pick and choose what you want. If you want to run a horror game, here's a supplement for that. And here are some optional rules and powers and abilities in that book that you probably want to use but you're probably not going to use the like delta force commando book for that i mean maybe well i don't know what kind of hard game you're running 
but they very much provide everything for you. But when you're actually playing it, it's a very straightforward system. You roll 3d6. If you roll underneath the number, you succeed. And I'm not trying to be judgmental here. I actually really love GURPS, and a lot of the GURPS supplements I think are really great. But because there are so many, and because some of them were done by much smaller teams than others, and the nature of doing super specific books, some of them are great, and some of them you're like, yeah, this was... This is what you decided you were doing. And I just say that to before you purchase a GURPS book or before you play a GURPS game, figure out which set of books you want to use and make sure they're ones that you like. Because I really love some of them. And then there are a few that I will not name names, but you could not pay me to play. For the next one in the, the counter, I said the Amber Diceless RPG is abstract but complex. Interesting. I'm pretty sure most people have not played this game, so I have to explain it. The Amber Diceless RPG is a diceless game system that was designed to run in the Chronicles of Amber setting, which was a 70s high fantasy book series. It's very different than most games you're going to play. As you might have surmised, it doesn't use dice. They have a lot of cool powers. They have only four attributes. It's all based on those attributes and how you are in it compared to someone else. But the GM has say of like well yeah you're better at this guy in warfare but you know he set up all these ambushes and you're really tired so that goes into account so it, it's really a game i love this game but it's a game you have to, have to play with the right people but it's abstract because there are very very few rules it is complex because despite that they really let you play with the cosmos in that game so you can really get into detail about conspiracies and what weird magical effects you put into the world and all sorts sorts of crazy stuff can happen. Alliances like I, you may not be better than that guy at this particular thing, but you plus your buddy, you know, are better at a different thing. And if you set up an ambush over here and it, it just goes on. And it's one of those things where the setting adds a lot yes. of complexity. The whole idea of Amber, the series is that there is one place that is real. It is called Amber. And there are infinite alternate realities that are shadows of Amber that are reflections of the real that are closer or further away from it. So you and your characters can literally go to an infinite number of realities and it's from a time when sci-fi writers did a lot more shrooms. You're not wrong. There's one game that comes to mind that has a lot of similar elements, but is legally distinct for very important reasons. Lords of Gossamer and Shadow, as an example of taking a setting and modifying it or updating it, changing little things in order to flow differently. There are a few games that people put out that try to extract the system from Amber and do it in a different or at least non-branded setting. But we can talk about those another day. Exalted, which we have mentioned before, I put is both a crunchy and a complex system. And a system that we all For love. sure. There's nobody in the world who's going to argue. And a setting that's great. Exalted is one of the most complex games out there because both its setting and its rules are complex. And that's why, like, Exalted can be really overwhelming. It can be, but it's also freaking sweet. 
tagline it's freaking sweet the thing that really <laughs> makes it both For complex real. and crunchy the magic system in the game you use charms and charms are specific powers that you have but you buy a lot of them and they interact with each other in different and potentially unique ways so as you're building your character and expending experience to continue to grow your character how you interact with other characters in combat socially constantly changes and the addition of a single charm can really change not only what you can do but like how you roll your dice and it's not that there are 15 of these powers and you Half pick the three book. there are hundreds and you are going to end up yes. with dozens and you may start a round of combat with okay i'm going to activate these six charms i'm going to spend all of this out of my various energy pools in order to do so and my mechanics change like i have now my attributes have just changed the number of dice i'm rolling the way i'm rolling those dice have changed all of my different combat weaponry like everything changes and that is before yeah, it's, uh, I do what you do um, else in a raid turn. in any MMORPG before uh, you go into the next combat. You pop all your stuff. Oh my god. Yeah. Exalted is an MMO raid. That is a perfect explanation. D don't you don't <laughs> use Elliot's name that way. Um, it has <laughs> elements that are similar, but it is also better than we that. We can talk about why you gotta can, hate on MMOs. And I guarantee um, you that at some point we will talk about Exalted in its own episode. Uh, the next one, we are in a Chronicles of Darkness game. The that's the game that's been going for five years now. I would say it's moderately crunchy. It does provide a lot of rules for different things, but that also encourages you to extrapolate from those rules if you come up with weird edge cases. And it does also try to provide, like, if you have two powers that sound like they're in conflict with each other, just make this roll. We're not going to write how they uniquely interact. That's, no, it's not going to happen. Not going to work. Just do this. So I said it's moderately crunchy, but it's pretty fluid. When you're actually playing it, it's pretty straightforward. You, you make the dice pool, add any bonuses, you subtract any penalties, and then you roll the dice and count successes. I agree that it's fluid, but I would say it's mildly abstract. Sure. Just because they leave a lot of those corner cases, and I feel like crunchy games try to govern those corner cases. And Chronicles of Darkness is really trying to be like, hey, here are the situations that will come up all the time, and here are rules for those. Corner cases, uh, sure. good luck. Well, and if you look under the hood of it, Chronicles of Darkness is, broadly speaking, an updated edition of what was previously New World of Darkness, which, as in each of the different splats that it has released, worked to streamline and make more abstract a lot of the crunch that was previously inherited from New Worlds of Darkness. There are a lot more unifying systems that can, that they tell you just in the event of edge cases, here is a unifying system that you could use for a bunch of different things without having to think too hard about it. And talking about it now, I would actually say like it slides on the spectrum, but also depending on what template you're playing in it, because you can play vampires, werewolves, pages, sin eaters, mummies, changelings, depending on what you add uh, and the more things you add, it changes how crunchy and abstract and fluid it is. If you're playing a mage game, it is much more crunchy. That's fair. But I will say that regardless of what splat you're playing, I think that this is closer to the center of that axis than either 
Fate Absolutely. or Exalted, right? Fate and Exalted are uh, way at the end. Absolutely. And the, the games where you provide it, yes. This is very much a generally centered, very balanced game. Uh, and then we're to the next one. May I insert one in here before we move on to the next one? Each of these things we've talked about is a bigger game. And I want to give an example of one of those indie games that we were referring to before, which is freely available on the internet from the creator himself, Goblin Punks. What, what? Which is an abstract, fluid game. It is one page. It has a core mechanic of you you roll a number of d6s, and mm -hmm. I think you pick the highest one mm -hmm. is compared to a chart, and like four and five is a success with a caveat, six is a success, just a success, and three and Below is a caveat that you pick in a failure. That's it. Yep. That's the whole That's system. The and there's no setting. There's the implied setting of you are a 15-year-old goblin hanging out with your snot-nosed 15-year-old goblin friends, and you're going to go do bumming around town teenager stuff. Yeah. What that means is entirely up to you. And when we talked earlier about mental load, and we talked about how much time you have to take to prepare a game, you know, it's entirely up to you. I wrote like a page and a half of setting when I've run Goblin Punks before. I didn't need to. Under no circumstances did I need to. Like, you really don't have to do a lot in order to just get up and go and figure things out along the way with Goblin Punks. It's great. Finally, the thing we'll probably argue about the most, 5th uh, edition D&D, which I feel varies a lot. I feel varies more than Chronicles of Darkness because depending on what you play and what you're doing with it, it really changes how crunchy it is. See, what's funny is I think that the other axis is fairly variable on D&D. Like, I think D&D can either be very fluid or very complex on what you're doing, but I think it's always crunchy. It's basically a war game with some role playing into it. It's a miniatures game. It is really crunchy. It is really, my weapon does this. There are tables of hundreds of different items. You've got to go through your sheet of here's the 46 items I have. Oh no, I used half a bushel of marbles. Good thing I still got the other half. That's why I, I said it It really changes based on crunchy. Because if you're not doing combat, if you're doing social interaction, there are no rules. That's all abstract. Okay, but every D&D game has combat and the combat is always super Sure, the, the combat is, they very well define like in combat, these are the things that we provide for you. Outside of that, there's much less. And for how fluid or complex it is, I feel really changes based on your class. If you play a fighter, you know, I hit it with my sword. I think I'm going to use my action surge on this on this turn. Oh, and that's gone. Okay, for until I have a short rest. So I'm just going to hit it again next turn. And if I get hurt, I'm going to use my second wind. All right. I agree. I think the fluidity versus complexity can vary a lot. So something Helen brought up before we started recording is your level also really changes things a lot, right? Everyone at first level is pretty fluid. Like even if you're playing a wizard or something. But you know, at 15th level, the fighter has more to do, but it still is nowhere near as complex as a full spellcaster anymore oh yeah with fifth ed in particular you're not really playing your class until third level Agreed. and if your game only really goes until fourth or fifth level you're spending a lot of time at level three if you ever are so lucky to finally get to play a level 20 druid then you have a lot going on 
you have a lot of options, if nothing else. I don't think I can argue that all of the crunch in D&D is in the underlying engine of D&D, which is the combat. So actually, we didn't argue that much about it. We seemed to... We got a lot of our arguing out beforehand. We found consensus, and frankly... Uh, So depending (laughs) on what you're doing, and depending on what you're playing, and at what level, D&D can be crunchy, or abstract, or complex, or fluid. I'm sure that's very helpful for you. Don't worry, we will argue more about yes. D&D in other ways. Oh, we're ready. Yeah, on. don't don't think we don't have D&D to argue oh, yeah. cuz we do for days, for days. So, the last thing you should think about your new game is how easy the mechanics are to break. Or really, maybe not to break intentionally, but how quickly do they fall apart? We could do an entire series on that alone, so that's going to vary based on the individual game. Just as an example, like not to go too far in it, there are some games that your GM has to really know in and out and has to really limit what players can do because if they don't, Yes. The game just breaks down. And it doesn't mean you can't have fun, and it doesn't mean it can't be a campaign. It just means that, like, boy, howdy, things well, can get out of hand. Everybody just needs to know going in, particularly the storyteller needs to know, this power or this power or this combination of powers needs to have a little extra scrutiny just so when you're putting everybody's sheet together, nobody accidentally gets an I win automatically button. Or, on the other end of that, ends up with a complete dead weight makes their whole sheet useless. Those are extreme examples, but you will generally find when we're talking about game balance, accidents can happen. Even if the game itself is well balanced and the mechanics are are sturdy, a big part of talking to your players for the game is to make sure that everyone knows what to expect and so no one builds a character that doesn't really work. If you're doing a high politics intrigue game, one character shows up like, yeah, I didn't take any social stuff, but let me tell you about my fencing skill. That's gonna be a problem because they're probably gonna have a lot of situations where they really can't interact with the story and if you provide something for them to interact with in a fight, the other players probably can't interact. So that is a thing that you're going to have to consider. We will definitely discuss session zero coming up soon. So the the last thing that we wanted to leave you guys with at the end of our first episode, if you want to play a rules light one shot to like introduce new players to the absolute joy that is role playing, some of our suggestions are honey heist, lasers and feelings, we that remain and the aforementioned goblin punks. All of them are super easy. Honey heist is your bears committing crime. You can communicate with each other and you can communicate basic thoughts to people, but you are bears who have to do a crime in the real you world. You have two stats. It's, it's great. bear and criminal. That was also by Grant Howitt, just like Goblin Punks. We That Remain was made by Rowan, Rook, and Deckard. Well, I'm Ryan, the tired rules guy. I'm Ben, the antagonistic player. I'm Helen, the feral storyteller. And I am Jared, the sneaky game master. Together, we are the Starting Equipment Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on our first episode. And please listen next week as we talk about Session Zero.